Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room Podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History in the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and Podcast Editor for the War Room. It's a pleasure to have you join us. National security requires the keeping of secrets, even in a society that values freedom of the press and of speech. It's never an easy balance to maintain, and managing those secrets is a full-time job. Challenges to the system come not only from potential adversaries who want to expose those secrets for their own ends, but also from officials and others who want to advance their immediate political interest, or who simply bristle against the inconveniences that come with document classification. Meanwhile, the broader public struggles to understand the purpose and mechanisms of classification, their intent, as well as their application. Our guest today, Allison Goldsmith, a current student at the U.S. Army War College, has been a security officer within the Department of Defense for nearly a decade, most recently as a program security manager for the Navy Engineering Logistics Office. Previously, she served as a program security officer, supporting a pre-Milestone A project, and as an assistant program security officer supporting an acquisition category 1D program, both terms that perhaps she'll explain to us in the course of our conversation. A graduate of Fordham University in NYU, she has seen how the process works and does not work and is here to help us all better understand both aspects of the classification world. We are delighted to have her with us today. Welcome, Allie Goldsmith. Thank you. So Allie, is it uh, fair for me to ask you how your year at the Army War College is going so far? Sure. Uh, So this year at the Army War College has been uh, both illuminating since I am a Navy civilian. And so learning Army jargon and Army vernacular and trying to understand all of the processes that relate directly to the Army instead of the Navy has been an interesting challenge, um, as well as, you know, just coming from from a, a different, I, I wasn't in school, uh, I wasn't, and I was working primarily in an acquisition, you know, in an acquisition workforce. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not an acquisition workforce certified person, but uh, we're supporting a acquisition office, and so learning uh, about you know what people have done on the ground for tactical purposes and trying to understand all of the army related stuff has been has been a challenge. So, so so far so good though. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> well, everything seems to be going okay. Well, there you so go. that's fair. So, what in your opinion is the most important thing the public should know about the classification process? So I think the most important thing that the public should know about classification is that there are rules. Um, so the Department of Defense does not just make up what they think is classified. There are specific rules that are set down from the president in an executive order. The Department of Defense has different directives that and manuals that we have to follow. Uh, the intelligence community has different directives and manuals. And so all of those things work together. It's not, you know, there are everybody's human. So Mm -hmm. it's a, you know, the DOD is still made up of humans. So I can't say that it's foolproof, but I would, I would want people to know that, you know, that there are rules and that there are good people attempting to enforce those rules. That's fair. So what do you think is the biggest thing the public gets wrong about the classification system? Is it that we, that people don't understand that there are rules or is there something like one thing that you, when you're, when you hear the public talking about 
classification that you say, no, that's wrong. And I wish you'd stop saying that. So I think people don't understand. So often I've heard like, well, this program must be illegal because it's classified. Mm-hmm. Well, the program's not illegal, just that, you know, the U.S. government has made a decision that it deserves uh, it deserves more protection than just having it out. Uh, we have to strike a balance between operational efficiency and making sure that we can still use all of our assets uh, versus the public's right to know. And so the department tries to walk a, a line between those two. And so, but uh, I often hear like, well, that program must be illegal if it's classified. And it's not illegal. It's just been authorized uh, to be kept secret. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, there are there are those who criticize government agencies for saying that, that uh, they over-classify things, that they keep too many things secret for too long. Do you think this is an actual problem of over-classification? Uh, it can be uh-huh. um, in certain in certain areas. Uh, we can also see the problem sometimes of under-classification mm-hmm. where, um, it, it seems like everybody's everybody knows the secret. So if everybody knows it, it's not really secret. But then in certain areas that we think deserve uh, more protection, uh, sometimes you'll run across this in the cyber domain or in the intelligence community. And people will say, well, I don't understand why I can't just get the information. And so sometimes, yes, we do overclassify information. Uh, and then sometimes there's issues with training across the board. So and uh, we see this sometimes in documents where people are like, well, the document is secret, so I should make all of the all of the portions for all of the paragraphs secret. Well, that's not correct. The portions for the paragraph should be unclassified. Mm-hmm. The overall document is secret. And so it um, that can lead to people keeping secrets for longer because documents are mismarked. Mm-hmm. And what's the process of declassification like? Um, are there automatic declassifications or is it or is everything depend on uh, a request coming from outside? So uh, each document, when it's classified, gets a a, a block, basically. So you have a classified by block, and you can put your name or some sort of unique identifier uh, derived from, which is where uh, the source document that's that's been classified that you're taking the information from. And then below that, it says declassify on. And so there are different categories. So most documents, if they're just uh, generic secret documents, they'll get a 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so, but other documents uh, will have longer declassification periods. And so some you'll get for for 40 years, some you'll get for 50 years, some you'll get for 75 years, depending on the category of the information that's being classified. So for example, information that comes from humans is often mm-hmm. uh, classified for the longest because mm-hmm. it could put that human, that human life in harm. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you reach the declassified date, you're supposed to go through an automatic review. The agency is supposed to go through a review of declassification. You can get sometimes from the outside a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act mm-hmm. request coming in to say we're interested in this information. Um, but often agencies know, hey, this is going to come up for declassification. Yes, this is coming up for declassification. You know, this will come up in two years. This will come up in five years. So and um, you will also then run into the problem sometimes where if you put new information in the document, you can reclassify it then longer. I was which wondering does about happen. that. That can happen, right? Well, and I was thinking too. So that means it, it's a little bit like uh, the column in the newspaper that says this day in history. So I guess on every day of the year, a certain number of government documents have reached their uh, official declassification date. But clearly, no, there's nobody sitting and waiting to pull them all out and immediately declassify them. No, it's a lot of work mm-hmm. to declassify something. Uh, and you have to uh, to work it in um, connection with a, a variety of different agencies, mm-hmm. including the National Archives and Records Administration, uh, the Information Security Oversight Office. Uh, everybody has a part to play in, mm-hmm. uh, as, part of the, uh, as part of the declassification process. So it can get cumbersome and uh, it, can be, it can be time consuming. And so in a department that's 
perhaps not strapped for resources, we don't generally allocate one person towards doing declassification like that. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Freedom of Information Act, and I wanted to ask about that, that uh, under the terms of the Freedom of Information Act, uh, someone can request a classified document before its official declassification date. Is that correct? I believe so. believe so. I am not a FOIA expert. Uh-huh. Because, but I guess the problem is, is e- just because a document is, a document can be partially declassified. It does, de- declassification is not an all or nothing process as well, correct? This is where correct. redactions come into play. So uh, in 20, uh, 2012, they, there was a, a new information security program that was issued, and it was basically basically said you're going to classify the overall document, and then you're going to classify individual paragraphs underneath that document, mm. so that in the event that you got a declassification request, you could look at individual paragraphs and say, this paragraph could be declassified, this paragraph can be declassified, but the overall thing perhaps can't, and mm. maybe it's just two paragraphs. But it gives you an idea then of what actually is classified in the document. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to the uh, the whole idea that there's no... It's not as though there's a list of, well, I'll, I'll use, a, I'll use a, a less serious example, right? In the movie Bull Durham, there's a famous moment where um, you can yell at the umpire for as long as you want, but if you say a particular word, you get automatically thrown out of the game. And so I wonder, for a document's classification level, are there certain particular pieces of information that then will affect the classification that sort of universally, like if I mention certain numbers or certain names, um, or are or is in every document, is it a, a judgment call on the part of the security officer to decide which level of classification a piece of uh, a piece of information gets. So it's generally not the security officer doing mm. your classification. So the way that the process works is, uh, I'll speak from a program office perspective. Good. A program decides that they want to build a widget X, mm-hmm. basically. And so then you go through and you decide what about that specifically is classified. Could be a missile system, could be could be a ship, could be anything. Mm-hmm. So, and you'll say like, uh, for example, like the trajectory could be classified at the secret level. Mm-hmm. But then you could also say, you know, the phenomenology related to the missile is classified at the at the TS level, top secret level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that document that we call it a security classification guide, that gets signed by an original classification authority. OCAs are authorized by position, mm-hmm. not by person. Okay. So uh, if a person moves in their position, they don't keep their OCA designation with them. So... The OCA then signs the security classification guide, the SCG. Then that program office will use that security classification guide to decide what's classified in the document that they're creating. So everyone who works with classified information is considered a derivative classifier. Mm -hmm. Everyone is supposed to go through training every two years on their derivative classification requirements. A security officer is there to answer questions, to help you figure out perhaps what's classified and what's not classified, but they're not, they're not doing it for you. Right. The, the engineer should be classifying their document. Mm-hmm. And so uh, according to the SCG, some words could be immediately classified. You say, you know, missile, mm-hmm. automatically classified. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, no. Sometimes it's, it's more subtle. Sometimes it's more, you know, what was the operating, fre- you know, what's the operating frequency or mm-hmm. how or long the, is the, the range, range or yeah. the duration mm-hmm. or something like that. So, mm-hmm. As the security officer, um, is, is a security officer ever empowered to... Uh, to add to the classification level of a document, sort of what, if, if you're saying that the original classification authority makes the decision, but of course then the security officer keeps track of these things or holds on to them. But, but you, as security officer, you do not have the, uh, the power or the right to sort of say, no, oh, you got that one wrong, actually. It needs to be TS or this, this paragraph needs to be top secret. This paragraph can be secret. Those... Do you make those decisions? So you you can't make the decision. Mm-hmm. You can help write a challenge to the security classification uh-huh. guide. 
that goes up to the OCA then, that mm-hmm. basically you believe that this is classified incorrectly in accordance with the OCA direction. And so we believe, you know, the program office believes that it should be should be X instead. Gotcha. Then you can resend that that guide up to the OCA. And if they concur, perhaps they'll change it. If they not concur, then maybe they'll leave it. Mm-hmm. And the uh, you talked about the different time limits that, that uh, documents or items could be classified. Uh, is the time limit connected to the level of classification or can you have something that's classified at secret for a long time versus something that's top secret for a short time? Yes. <laughs> uh, so generally you'll see... Um, Items with uh, human information mm-hmm. marked at the fifty-year, uh, uh-huh. the fifty-year requirement, and so generally those documents will have what we call HCS mm-hmm. in them. So it's not just a collateral or confidential secret, top secret designation. It will also say it will also have some sort of sensitive compartmented information, and then it'll have the HCS, the human control system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that will be fifty years. Uh, sometimes you can see uh, in special access programs those will be forty years, mm-hmm. and so. Those will say, you know, 25X, whatever the classification is, or you know, 25X1 or 25X2. And then it will say at the top, it will say, you know, secret, special access required, and then whatever the name of the program is. Interesting. And as you mentioned, the uh, classification authority is in the office, not in the person. So if I retire or, get, or leave my job, it's the person who succeeds me who will ma- be responsible for both for carrying on those decisions. And then it's the person who succeeds me who would then someday be the one who would be given the responsibility to declassify. Nobody's going to call me on the phone and say, hey, Ron, you classified this document 25 years ago. Do you remember Do you remember why? So the only time that you might see that happen is if uh, something happens with the document mm-hmm. or you, you know, maybe you can have an incident sometimes where maybe the document is found mm-hmm. um, and then that you might get a call saying, hey, I found this document. Do you remember anything about why we had a document here or why we did this or why we did that? Because uh, you provide the continuity of history then. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, no, they they probably wouldn't call you and say, hey, you know, line four was classified at TS. Do you guys remember why you did that? That's probably, that probably won't That's happen. That's probably won't happen. So it would be whatever whatever the, the sense of what should be top secret at the time that a document is being declassified will determine that. Right? Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, as well as when a document's being written. So you can see programs that go through the life cycle. And so they maybe all start at top secret. Mm-hmm. And then slowly over time, will this become secret? Okay, mm-hmm. well, this is this is unclassified now. So you can see the you can see a life cycle in a document's progression as well. Interesting. So um, and we, we talk about what a security officer does. And you're at the intersection of, of several different uh, uh, vectors within an organization, right? There is these these original classification authorities, so the people who are writing the documents coming up with the designs. So an OCA probably does not write the document. Ah, okay. So your program office probably writes the document, right. staffs it up to them, they'll review it with their team, look at it, say yes, they concur, and then send it back and down. And send it back down. Because ah. generally an OCA is probably signing a variety of classification guides, and there's you. likely a better use of their time than writing They're classification writing guides. Yeah. That's fair. And well, then, and then there's also in here some places records management. So yes. after these things have been produced, they've been produced in one place, classified in another, uh, and then somebody else makes sure that they're put wherever they're supposed to be put and kept there. And you, as the, as the security officer, sort of, uh, sort of at a at sort of a, a center place in all of this, watching what everybody is doing, because obviously the security officer is not records management. No, so generally they're they're different they're different people. It would depend, I think, on who took up the duty of records management. Uh-huh. Sometimes in a program office, uh, 
I guess a security officer could say, yes, I'll take up records management as well as a, an additional duty, depending on the number of people who work there. Um, so what a lot of what's going to depend, though, is uh, what's your classification system and what network are you writing it on? So oh. networks, um, especially for the Navy, are authorized for specific uh, in the special access required you know, special access program domain they're authorized for specific programs mm-hmm. so you can't then take that document that's a uh, classified at the at the special access required level print it off and then send it to send it to a place that's not authorized to hold it or anything like that so a lot of records management ends up being done within the program office mm-hmm. because they're the only ones who have the computer system that's authorized to hold the document that you've just created and of course that's what that's the kind of thing that gets the public's attention, right? When we find out that a, a government official might have had a document sent to them, uh, even though if, just because just because I'm cleared doesn't mean my phone is cleared. Oh, correct. Correct, right? So this is this important thing. So it's, I can't say, well, heck, of course I'm allowed to read this document. That doesn't mean that it, that you can send it to my phone. Unless that phone has specifically been cleared for that purpose. Correct. Yeah. So we have, um, so there, the facility itself has to be clear that you're mm-hmm. sitting in. So um, if you think of it um, like your like your house, your place of employment, mm-hmm. basically, it has to be cleared for the information. The network that you're writing it on has to be cleared for that piece of information, uh, as well as the personnel who are working that information have to be cleared uh, for to see the information. Uh, so generally, uh, we say that you need to have... Um, well, at least for the basic, you need to have a clearance uh, and you need to have the appropriate need to know. So you need to ha- like have a requirement for mm-hmm. your job to see that information. Um, if you're moving into uh, additional enhanced protection, so uh, special access programs or sensitive compartments and information, that's your uh, Intel community mm-hmm. markings. Mm-hmm. Um, then you need to have the facilities, the networks, the people, but the people also need to have, um, they need to have a security clearance, need to know, and formalized access, mm-hmm. which is even more of a, a burden. So you can't, uh, one person with a top secret clearance can't go visit a colleague at another office and say, hey, let's see, what do you have on your desk here, right? Because So that, the visit that has not... to be announced in advance. Yes, <laughs> you have to, you have to send your clearances over. So, mm-hmm. and you, if you don't have uh, need to know for that information, your colleague shouldn't just give you the information and say, oh, you have, you have this this access you have need to know for this piece of information uh it's one of the ways that we're attempting to mitigate insider threat Mm -hmm. so uh if someone it's one of the parts of the training that people always give you so if your colleague who has no need for the information although they may be cleared if they don't have a need for the information that could be a red flag to say this person is maybe attempting to engage in espionage indeed i think about that the the videos that we watch for our annual uh our annual security clearance uh those kinds of questions come up a lot right you can't just because i'm cleared doesn't mean mean I'm allowed to see everything that you do. Correct. And uh, this then gets to a question which uh, uh, in the public mind, right, there was a lot of discussion about the fact that say the president of the United States can declassify any document whenever the president of the United States thinks it can be declassified. Um, That strikes a lot of people as kind of odd, but it's also makes a degree of sense, right? Somebody at the top of the government has to be able to make these kinds of decisions. But um, what is the this goes back to the idea is you know how does how does word get down that something is to be declassified like you don't decide it to the the security officer in a program or say that you and the in the for the navy right you don't make this decision right the, the decision is made to declassify documents and then you manage the process by which it's declassified but how do you find out? Like, do you get, are there are there weekly announcements? So, by the way, these things. Yeah, how does I this don't work? think so. You don't think so, right? Um, I, I I've think never so seen anything yes. come down and say this particular piece of information is now declassified. Uh-huh. Um, I imagine it would come down in the same way that most announcements come down, which is piecemeal. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the 
DepSecDef sends it, you know, the SecDef sends it to, you know, the people that he has on distro. And then those come out as, you know, as like maybe nav admins or something like that. And so it's more of a piecemeal approach uh, mm-hmm. to say that maybe this this information is is not classified anymore. Maybe if you were high enough buff, I guess you could get a, a phone call like maybe. from someone saying like, oh, this is declassified now. Or you find out in the press, I guess, if it happens. Um, <laughs> Which is another, if it's in the press, it's not declassified yet. Well, I was going to say, this, this is an important thing. I remember w- one of the first things I learned working for the government was that just because something was on, say, WikiLeaks did not mean that it was declassified. So you still, were not, you were still not allowed to look at it. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. So um, once WikiLeaks happened, uh, we were all directed that uh, we didn't, the information had not been declassified. We did not have the need to know for the information. So we should not go looking for the WikiLeaks uh, when it was on that, you know, it was available. And so it actually created a lot of issues, you know, because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to look through WikiLeaks. So, you know, there were people who were authorized to look through the documents and figure out what had been what had been released and what had been, you know, what was what was now public. But for the general person, you know, the general you know, security officer or engineer or something who was working that uh, they, they couldn't look at WikiLeaks. So you still don't like I still, for example, don't have a, like I don't have that much understanding of what was actually leaked because mm-hmm. I was never able to look at the WikiLeaks. Uh, it's the same thing that happened with uh, Edward Snowden. Mm-hmm. We were directed, you will not look at anything that he has released because it hasn't been appropriately declassified. So it's technically, it's still classified, it's still in the pu- it's, but it's in the public domain. Mm-hmm. But you don't have the need to know. So it would be, it would be a violation that could cost you your security clearance? Uh, it would be something that probably came up in your polygraph. Mm-hmm. And so that would be, yeah, that would be something that you'd have to to rectify in your own mind. Interesting. This is, and, and these are the sorts of things that the public sort of tries to wrap their minds around, right? This idea about, you know, what, what, what's the purpose of this, but I'm related to this. I want to come back at a different angle is this whole idea of, uh, how does one get trained to be a security officer? How do you learn these magical skills to classify things? And, and deal with classified material. A lot of it is on the job training. <laughs> um, so there is a, a variety of classes. So uh, there is a center for the development of security excellence that mm-hmm. runs a, a lot of uh, a lot of training online. And then there's also they run in person classes. And so they you can go to those and they'll train you into here's what the manuals say. Here's what the requirements are. Here's what the rules are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then for your specific program, a lot of it's on the job training mm-hmm. for well, here's how you use this IT system. And here's how here's how this works and here's the person who signs off on this every service does it differently in terms of who authorizes certain things and so that can be a challenge just trying to figure out like okay well who actually authorizes this who do i have to talk to that sort of thing and that would mean that even if you become really good at being a security officer and you get promoted into a to work in a new office you're starting from scratch starting from scratch every not time. exactly in terms of but if it's a different technology mm-hmm. or a different you know a different agency yeah i mean some of the some of the the contacts that you have, obviously, just in terms of like general knowledge, is is the same. But if you're learning a new technology, you're starting over from scratch because you just may not know anything about that technology or what's classified. And how do we, how when we think about classification, what I do because I'm an old man. But when I think about classification, I think about pieces of paper. But we're not just talking about pieces of paper, right? We're talking about electrons. How are how are electronic documents stored? Uh, is it a matter since they're so much easier to move around? Um, how, how are they classified, maintained, checked on as a security officer? I mean, how, how do you keep track of electronic materials? 
So a lot of time for electronic documents, they'll be marked the same way the written document is marked mm-hmm. um, online. And so they'll still have, you know, headers and footers uh, and they'll still have Porsche marks. Uh, and so our records management uh, training allocates like what are, what are you supposed to keep and how are you supposed to keep it? doesn't always work out so well because sometimes the records management training says, oh, print everything out and stick it in a box and send it to the National Archives and Records Administration. And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to print out 650 top secret documents and send it to them. So mm-hmm. sometimes those two things are not, uh, they don't work, always work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're supposed to develop your own records management for on electronic documents on the classified system so that you can put your hands on it in the event that someone asks for it. And the idea is most of these classified systems are not networked in the sense that, or they're only networked in very specific ways so that it's not easy for documents to be sh- uh, shared. It depends on the system. Uh-huh. So um, some some uh, systems are networked across the most of the, like in the Intel community. And so you can email people across the Intel community uh, at a variety of, you know, at a variety of classification levels. Uh, some systems are so standalone that you have one monitor and it's lo- located in one room and you have four people who can have an account on that system. Just depends on the who's running the program, who's got the network funding, and who's running the who's running the network. One one last one last question about this. So. When you began working on this, or, or when you when you uh, uh, approached uh, uh, about doing this podcast, right? You were concerned about the public's lack of knowledge, uh, an understanding about security. And I, what what final word would you want to give to the public that they should uh, keep in mind when they hear stories about the classification or declassification of of materials? I would say that. People who work for the government are just like every other person who is trying to, you're trying to do your job, you're trying to do the job to your the best of your ability, um, and you're trying to to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so we just happen to be, you know, maybe civilian employees or the military, but you're trying to do the right thing. And so, you know, sometimes people will say, I especially saw this after the Hillary Clinton email scandal. It's like, well, there was like a systematic approach to, you know, there, you know, people were, were causing, you know, violations all over the place. It was like, well, no, it finally came out that no, there was not a systematic issue here. Just people didn't know what was classified or documents weren't marked appropriately. And so it's the same way, um, you know, it's the same way across the government. You know, sometimes we, we misclassify things. Sometimes things are just classified wrong. Mm-hmm. It happens. Um but people go through training. People try to do the right thing. People try to get the information to either the warfighter or to whoever needs the information to make the right decision. And so, you know, everyone working in the federal government is human, trying to do the right thing for the most part. I mean, like with any population, you have your, you know, there's there's the gamut of humans that sure. that everyone knows. So, but you know that we're all trying to do the right thing. That we are trying to follow rules that have been set down for us from, uh, you know, from the Department of Defense or from the from the president. And so I think that's what I would want people to know is that there's not any sort of like systematic trying to like willfully deceive the public. We're just trying to follow the rules that have been set out for us and protect the programs that we've been charged to that we've been charged to protect. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the final last thing is, you know, sometimes it's not easy when it's your you know, it might not be your decision at the time, but if you're in a new program and you're trying to figure out what's classified and what's not classified, uh, that can be really challenging for a program, for a person. You know, what's going to, are you going to make the wrong decision? Are you going to compromise, you know, are you going to compromise national security by making the wrong decision? And so I think that's, that's also something for, for people to understand is that, you know, we're, we're trying to make the right decision. We're trying to protect these programs, but not at the cost of willfully deceiving the public, but just as a cost of operational. You want to have operational surprise and operational expertise. All right. Well, that's a 
very sensible and uh, and hopeful way to end this conversation, which is has gone out to all the public and is not classified. So thank you very much, Ali Goldsmith, for joining us today to thanks, talk Ron. about your work. It's great to have you here. And thanks to all of you for joining us on A Better Peace. Please send us your comments on this program and your suggestions for future programs. We're always excited to hear from our listeners. But uh, until next time, from The War Room, I'm Ron Granary. Thanks for joining us. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear even more great content, subscribe to A Better Peace, The War Room Podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.com. Dot armywarcollege.edu and have a great day.